Well, if you didn't get a bulletin when you came in, you're going to need one. Uh, we'll use that to follow along the message. If you didn't get one, you're a little uncomfortable because you're new here. Just ask somebody at your table. They'll get up and grab you one. They're at both sides. There's one on this side you can get bulletins at. There's a table on this side you can get bulletins at. And we're going to be starting a new series today. And uh, as you guys can tell, we're going to be combined for the next six to eight weeks approximately. It depends on how long it takes us to finish the renovation of the new student ministry area. I can tell you the new student ministry area is going to be pretty cool. And if you would like to be part of that, Jason was so right. Jason said, you know, if you want to be part of uh, helping with that, you need to talk to Miss Bambi or him. They're looking for people to help with decorations and ideas and how to make that place new and really student-friendly, I guess you could say. But what I want to look at this morning is this new series called the Sinai Code. We're going to be starting this idea of looking at the Ten Commandments and why they were given, what they mean, and why God gave them to us. Now, I just want to do some interaction real quick. I know we've got a big group, but I, I still love interaction. So when you think of the Ten Commandments, when you think of the Ten Commandments, what comes to mind? Anybody gutsy enough to tell me? What is it? I can't hear all y'all. It sounds like a chaotic... Raise your hand. I'll call on you. Charlton Heston. You didn't raise your hand, though, but I heard him. Does anybody know who Charlton Heston is? Okay, yeah. From Ben-Hur. Okay, I was watching him about two or three weeks ago. We got these Bible tapes for my kids. Check this out. And in these Bible tapes for the kids... My wife said, man, the, the tapes are really good, but there's this old, boring guy that comes on. He's knocking the kids out before they'll get to the actual show. And I'm like, who is she talking about? So I turn all the tapes, I'm forward, and I'm like, Susan, it's, it's, it's Charlton Heston. He's not boring. That's Moses Gowan. She's like, well, he's knocking the kids out. He needs to quit. And I'm like, well, so the whole idea, most of the time people think of this old Charlton Heston. That's what I thought people would say. What do students think of when I talk about Ten Commandments? Mount Sinai. What else? Rules. Yeah. That's why today's message is called Rules of Engagement. We're talking about God's rules. Now, some of the things that we think about rules are going to be changed today. And what I want you to understand is when you look at rules, whether they're school rules, mom and dad's rules, or God's rules, you learn a lot about the rule giver based on the rules they give. You also learn about the people as they try to follow the rules. How much do they put into it? How much zeal do they have? You learn a lot by looking at rules. But as we look at that, let me just give you in my house the number one rule, and that's going to tell you automatically something about me and my family. Our number one rule in my house is do not lie. Don't do it. That's like the one thing that we break the spoon out without any questions, and somebody's getting beat, somebody's getting hurt. It's really embarrassing when Susan lies. But, but the whole idea is that's the number one rule, and you don't break that rule. Now, what's that tell you then about... Our family. That's Susan's and my rule. Number one rule. Other things, you know, a little bit more lean on, but that rule we don't mess with. That's pretty valuable to us. Because we understand in this culture we live in, man, if lying is just kind of something that people just take for granted. They just do it all the time. And so with our kids, we want them to grow up in something different. We want them to think differently about the way they live. Now, when we look at God's rules, it comes to a certain point in the Bible where God kind of breaks the silence with his people and he says, Here's my rules. Now I'm just kind of curious. Do you know a book of the Bible that comes out of? Oh, I heard somebody say it. Who was it? Exodus is right. That's pretty good, man. You ask people on the street, you know, like, you ever heard of the Ten Commandments? Yeah. You know where they are? Bible. That's what you're going to get, you know, Bible. So you guys are already ahead. We're going to be looking at Exodus for the next six to eight weeks. In fact, 
We're going to look at specifically chapter 20, and we're going to break down each of God's rules and say, why did God give that rule? What's behind that? What's the heart behind it? Did He just kind of create the rule to make my life bad, or did God create the rule to actually benefit my life? What's God all up on His rules and why He gave them? And so what I want to look at is this kind of break into this Exodus 19. Look at your notes and look at this passage with me. So Moses went down to the people, and he told them. Remember, he's on Mount Sinai. God And God spoke all these words. And here's the first thing God speaks to them in the whole context of rules. I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. This is before he even gives the rules. He kind of sets the tone. He says, I am your God. Now, before I get into the whole meat of that, I just want to look at some myths about rules. The rules that we happen in the home. They're also rules in God's, in God's kind of thinking. Here's the first myth I think we get when we think it rules. Rules are about control. How many of y'all think that's even partially true? Rules are about control. Okay, there's one. Anybody else gutsy enough in this Bambi? Okay, the adults are like, I'll venture out. Anybody else? Okay, rules are about control. Just partially, not fully. Rules are about control. The rest of you say, no, not really. Okay, let me ask you a question. Give me one rule that's a big rule in your school. No gum. Why? Why? Now, ask the question. Oh, it, shh, you lost your turn. You didn't speak quick enough. Miss Christina was on that one. Miss Christina, why do we have the rule no gum? Wait a minute. What is it? Shh, listen up. You're going to learn something. Oh. So it's the idea of controlling gum for the sake of not having to put my nasty fingers in your wet, gooey mouth from underneath this desk. Yes. Okay. What's another rule I get in school? Okay, Josh, give it to me. Are you serious? Can't wear your book bag in the hallway. Why is that? Anybody know why we have the rule? Because the county does not like Mardella. Okay, there's a bias there. Okay, now we know that he's biased. Not everybody wants. Anybody else want to get, gather why we might have that rule? Kayla has it. I can't. Shh, gang. A new rule. No, we're still on book bags. No cell phones. Why do we have the no cell phone rule? Because people aren't paying attention to class. So, to some extent then, listen to this. It's partially true that rules in the world that we live in are about control. Why? Because if we just let everybody do whatever they wanted... It'd be kind of hard to learn anything or do anything, wouldn't it? What about this? I want you to start to think about God's rules. Are God's rules out of control? Yeah, I don't think so either. Then what's the motive for God's rules? Some people say love. I think you might be right. We'll look at that in a second. The second thing that's a myth is this. Rules equal relationship. Rules equal relationship. I'll break that down for you in a second. Here's this, there's this wide-known religious myth. Let me kind of pan it out for you. I bet you've heard a version of it. God is a great God. He's a big God. God's way away from us in the sky. We're way down here, way separated away from God. And here's the way religion works. If you will just obey God's rules, you will get closer to God. Ever heard a version of that? Let me paint a couple of versions of it that are maybe a little bit more explicit. If you'll meditate X number of times a day, if you'll face East during this certain time of day and pray, if you'll tithe, if you'll go to 
church, then God will pay attention to you. Like God's up in the sky going, you know, I've seen you, I've been checking you out, but you know, you're not really worth my attention. But now that you're starting to do some of this stuff, you're getting a little bit better, you're a little bit more polished up. You know, you can come into my presence, you can pray to me, maybe I'll listen now. That's the way most people think of God. That's the way most people think about this idea of rules, that if I'll just obey, then God will listen. So Jesus comes along and he goes, man, I I know that mindset. He goes, I kind of got that. Let me see if I can help you all out. So instead of removing the rules, he jacks the rules up. Think about it. What are, give me some of the Ten Commandments you guys have heard that you, you know about. Just give me one. Covet, which means don't like other people's stuff. Give me another one. What is it? Murder is one of the first ones everybody lists. Isn't it kind of cool? So if people are thinking, you know, well, I haven't done that one. Well, you got high standards, don't you? What about another one? Covet's kind of hard. Don't lie. Then Jesus comes along. What about this one? Remember this one? Don't commit a... Adultery, and then Jesus comes along and tell you what does to him. He goes, but even if you look at a woman with lust, you commit adultery in your heart. And they're like, well, never mind. Okay, because who's not going to be able to do that? So here's the reality. Jesus comes along, and he jacks the commandments all the way up to a point that no one can even come close to obeying them. Because he understood that rules and following the rules don't equal relationship. He understood that. He got that. And that's why he came. In fact, if there's any message he came to expel, it was that one. Number three, here's another myth. Behavior equals acceptance. Now, you guys will get this one. Behavior equals acceptance. If I behave in school, I'm accepted. If there's a certain group in school, if I'll do their little rules and their little things, then they'll accept me. I remember when I was trying out for the soccer team, there was only two of us out of all of the freshmen that made the varsity team. It was me and this other guy. And it was only because we could run. That's the silliness of it. And it wasn't because we had good skills. We could run. You can't tell now, but we could. Tony's back there going, yeah, I remember that. So I remember they used to have this thing. Tony's here. It's kind of funny because I remember this. I can really relive this. Hazing. Anybody ever heard of this? There's this initiation on the soccer team. I don't know who started it, but it was kind of like on that day, everyone would get picked on that was new. And it was like on this certain day. Let me tell you some things they would do to people. They would gather some of the guys up, take Ben Gay, rub it in their underwear, and then drive them home. Yeah, that wasn't comfy, okay? And they would kind of take the long way home. The other one was, of course, the classic over-the-head wedgie. You ever seen that one? You know, where the band tears and comes up over the neck, so you kind of like this after you get the wedgie, you know what I'm saying? That was one of them. Or they would just grab you and give you a pink belly or whatever. Now, remember the day they were about to begin the hazing process. You remember that? Tony was big enough they wouldn't pick on him. But I had a varsity hood. I remember I was walking back to the, the gym, and I just threw my hood up, man, and put my hands in my pocket, and just kind of like made myself smaller and smaller. So as I went along, they wouldn't notice me. They didn't notice me. I didn't have to go through the hazing. I'll never forget that. It's kind of cool. I felt like I got away with something. But here were the thing. Those were the rules in this unwritten rule book for the soccer team. You want to be part of the team? You got to go through this hazing process. If you'll give in to the rules, if you'll give in to the behavior then you'll be accepted. Is there any rules like that in groups that you guys live in? Think about it. There's certain groups that you think are popular groups or cool groups or in groups or groups that you would like to hang with. And there's this unwritten rule book that says, if you'll do this or if you'll act this way, then you're in. Think about the party scene for high schoolers. The party scene is all about showing up a certain place and obeying certain rules. If you obey these certain rules, you're in on the party scene. That's the reality. But then the big reality is, is you really aren't. You really aren't connected to a certain group. Because here's the other thing that I think is another myth that's huge. Guilt equals life change. And we do this. I do this by accident sometimes. Guilt equals life change. Another myth. Let me give it to you. If you don't behave... 
the way I think you ought to, then I'm going to make you feel guilty. And by the way, when you feel guilty, it'll be a really deep felt emotion. And I'm believing it's going to create life change. Think that's true? It is true partially, but not fully. Guilt will bring about change, but it's only for a little bit of time. Let me ask you a question. Think, I want you to think back. Think back to the last time you got caught doing something that you know you were not supposed to be doing. Did you feel guilty? Be honest. Did you feel guilty? You can take your own head. You don't have to say it out loud. How long before you went back to that same activity? Think about it. Now, let me ask you a deeper question. Did you get caught? And you still went back, didn't you? Why? Why? Let me just teach you something that's deep, that's kind of inserting this whole religion versus relationship deal. Guilt is a bad motivation. Here's what happens. I go, man, I felt bad because I got caught. And really what I'm saying is, if I can figure out a way not to get caught next time, that'll be okay with me. And there's a difference between this idea of guilt and the biblical word called repentance. It's a big word, but think about it. Repentance means change the entire direction of my life. Students, you need to hear this because this is huge. In student ministry and in student culture right now, most students feel guilty, but they don't feel repentant. Here's what they do. Yeah, I got caught. And yeah, I know I shouldn't have. But really all I feel is bad because I got slammed. And I just don't want to get slammed again. So I'll try to avoid it, but they end up right back there. Why? Because they don't change the nature of their heart on that topic. Here's what repentance is. Repentance says, yeah, I know I shouldn't have done that. But you know what, God? What hurts me more isn't that I did it, but it hurt you. And I'm going to change the entire direction. I'm going to change the direction of moving this way to moving in your direction. And I'm, I'm going to turn my back on this stuff. And I'm going to start walking towards you, not focusing on that anymore, but putting all of my focus and all my worship in you, believing you will not get me back to that place. See the difference? By the way, repentance is life-changing. Guilt is not. Where we see this is in the reality. Let me give you the realities of this kind of stuff. Because this is cool stuff. Here's the realities. Rules without relationship equal rebellion. Y'all should get this. The reason you rebel as a teenager, the reason you rebel when you're in high school, is because no one took time to build a relationship with you before they gave you the rules. It happened in our country. Think about it. What's the whole Revolutionary War about? Taxation without... That's relationship, gang. Here we are over here. We're doing our thing. You know what? We're getting taxed. That's the rule. But we've got no relationship. We've got nothing vested over there. So we rebel and we become our own country. The reality is, is when you don't have a relationship, rules equal rebellion. So think about people that are rebelling against God. Why would they rebel? Because there's very little relationship. Here's the second thing. It's a reality. There are no rules that get me God's acceptance. That's the crux of this thing that gets tough. There's no rules that get me in with God. In fact, I'm going to give you, I'm going to kind of break that down a little bit, but what I want to do is I'm release just a little bit of time with you for table talk. Give you about five minutes. Look at these two questions. When you look at this whole idea of acceptance, what kind of rules do I obey to gain acceptance of certain people in your families, friends, whatever? What kind of things will I do just to get in? And then what kind of rules do I obey to gain God's acceptance? Because here's the reality. If we're honest 
We all follow in, fall into this trap every once in a while. To help you figure that out, in the center of your, Bible, in the center of your tables, I've got some Bibles. Look up Ephesians 2, 4 through 5 and 8 and 9. It's on page 704 if you use the Bible that's in front of you. Look that up, look at this principle, and look at the whole idea of obeying rules. And just see what you guys come up with at your tables. Take about five minutes. All right, cool stuff. I know you guys want to keep going. Let me kind of finish everything out for you. I know you're hitting the rules. You're just having a blast thinking mom's a jerk, dad's a jerk. They gave me this rules, you know. Over here they're saying schools are jerks because they make us do this acceptance testing stuff. And, well, they didn't say jerks. I, I, I filled in the blank. Amy's probably mad at me now. She said, you know, it's just part of the process. But let me give you the rest of this whole equation, this whole idea about rules and acceptance. So, shh, let me get this to you so you can kind of get this. This is good stuff. Number three is this. God's rules... And here's the reality, are evidence of a relationship. And that's big. I just want to give you this piece because it's so huge. You don't do the rules to get in with God. Someone that's trying to follow the rules and they're trying to strive toward God, they're already in. They're already in a relationship. Let me give you the history kind of behind this, and then I'll kind of help you in understanding Ephesians. Think back, if you know anything about Jewish history, real fast. Where were the Jewish people before God gave them these rules on the mountain? Anybody know? If you've seen the uh, Prince of Egypt, you know. What is it? They're in Egypt in the desert, right? What was their role at that point in life? They were slaves. Now think about this for a second. You're a slave. You're hanging out. You've got nothing to offer God. Nothing. And God's about to show up and say, and begin a relationship with them. And that's why I gave you number four. A relationship begins when I trust God's plan and I dump my own. I begin to trust God's plan and I dump my own. Let me show you how this works. Again, look at this whole idea of history. 400 years Israel was in the desert enslaved. Now I want you to think about this for a second. Because if you know anything about biblical history, watch this. Malachi, last book of the Bible, you know, Malachi, that Italian prophet. Check this out. 400 years from his last word till Jesus shows up on the scene. You think God did that by accident? I think he did it with purpose and intention. Watch how this goes together. Then God sends Moses to be his spokesman. New Testament. God sends Jesus to bring salvation. They show up on the scene and they see people that are enslaved and in bondage, and they're helpless to change their situation. So Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, let my people go. He goes, forget it, dude. Our whole economy is based on their slavery and what they do in their labor. We can't let them go. He says, fine. God says, you want to be that way? I'll make a mockery of every God that you hold dear. You probably didn't know that about Israel. Watch this. He goes to Egypt and he says, you want to worship the Nile as a source of life? Fine. I'll turn it to blood. Now try and worship it. You know what? You like frogs? Fine. You're infested with frogs. You like flies? Fine. You got a fly god? You're infested with flies. You like that? You worship the sun? I'll blot out the sun. God takes every god that that the Egyptians held dear and he makes a mockery of them. To say, you know what? What you've been doing in life, because you think that's right, but here's the reality. The real God has shown up And he showed up in a way where he wants to redeem and release and set his people free. And then he asked the Israelites to do one thing, and it's the last plague. He says, here's the one thing I'm going to ask you to do. At twilight, take a perfect lamb. 
a spotless lamb, a lamb without blemish or defect, and at twilight, slaughter it. And I know that kind of freaks me all out. They're going to kill the lamb? It was, like, it was like talking on a cell phone from them gang. I mean, they did it all the time. So he slaughtered the lamb. Then they cooked the lamb. Everything together. And then they sit as a family with a staff in hand and their sandals on their feet, ready to go. By the way, removing all the yeast, all the sin out of their home. And they sit down, they eat it in hurried fashion, and then they left. Now gang, fast forward again to the New Testament. The book of John. Here's John hanging out, baptizing people for repentance. And he says, behold, when he sees Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We're still in bondage. Students, you're in bondage. You're not in bondage to a country. You're not in bondage to a school. You're not in bondage to parents. You're in bondage to sin. And the destruction that sin brings into your situation and your life. And here's the great news that came all the way back to the Ten Commandments. God didn't give the rules to get into a relationship. He gave the rules as evidence of the relationship. And here's the one thing that He asks of us that we'll just respond to what He's doing. And here's what He's done. He has paid the ultimate price for you by dying on the cross. That's the ultimate thing that He has done. Just like He did for them. And all you've got to do is do the same thing the Israelites did. Receive it. Free. It didn't cost you a thing, but it cost God everything. So if you haven't had the chance to do that, I thought, as a combined service, what a better way to start than give you a chance right now to put your full faith and trust in what Christ has done for you on the cross. If you've never done that, this is your moment. This is your chance. This is your opportunity to stop feeling guilty and start understanding the whole concept of repentance. So before I give you your last thought, let me pray with you. And if you've never done that, or you need to redo that, this is your moment. So if you could bow your head and close your eyes, and everyone just focus in on God for just these few moments. If you're here and you haven't made that decision, if you're here and you need to get connected with God in that way, if you're here and you know that you're tired of feeling guilty, you're tired of trying to fit in, and that you're ready to just get in based on a relationship and just throw the rules out, and just get in on this relationship that God wants for you, then all you need to do is respond to Him by praying. Praying a prayer like this in your heart to God's heart. Dear God, I confess to you right now, I'm messed up. There's parts of my life that need fixing, God, and I can't do it. But I know that you sent Jesus because I couldn't, because you knew that He could When he went to the cross, he paid the ultimate price for my sin. And right now, I put my full trust in what he did. And I'm banking on his process, not mine. God, right now, come into my life through what Christ did and forgive me of my sin so that I can have a relationship with you. Not based on what I do, but based on who I believe in. For it's in Jesus' name that I ask it. Amen. Here's how I want you to respond this morning. On the back of your communication cards, if you still have those, you'll find somewhere on those communication cards um, some A, B, C, or D stuff. Right on the back it says, A, I've already committed my life to Jesus. That means you've made that decision. B, 
I still have questions. You know what? I'm not ready to do that, but I got some questions. See, I pray to commit my life to Christ today. If you prayed with me for the first time today, that's the one you want to check. And in D, I'm not interested in being a Christian. I heard you, dude, but I'm just not interested. Hey, that's cool. And then E, I recommitted my life today. I, things are kind of out of whack. I need to recommit my life. Check one of those on the back of your card. When you do that, put that in the center of your carousel. We'll take those up later. Here's your last thought. And we got a video for you guys before we leave. Here's your challenge. Decide today if you want to be religious or relational. That means obey the rules or get in on a relationship that allows you to just enjoy the rules. And by the way, if I didn't make that clear for you, let me just kind of break that down for a second before we end. I'm not telling you not to obey the rules. Here's what I'm telling you. You can't obey the rules. But if you'll be in a relationship with Christ that's full and whole, He'll produce the rules in you without any effort of your